Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Root of All Random. My name is Erin. And I'm Mubina. And today, we're talking about the strange and unusual, the food edition. So this episode is brought to you by Business Insider. No, they don't sponsor us, I know, believe it or not, but they do a really good job of looking at like all facets of consumer goods, like when it comes to history, culture, like economic value of something or social relevance. Now, all that sounds like a bunch of like really weird words to just say they talk about weird foods and they talk about like expensive foods. Some of the weird foods that they do talk about kind of got me thinking about like my own taste in food and just to kind of give a background on this. So when we, when someone likes sweet stuff, we say they have a sweet tooth, but like, what about everything else? How come that doesn't have like a cool slogan to go with it? A spice tooth. See, it doesn't sound random. A bitter tooth. I was going to say salty tongue and I was like, that just sounds weird. It doesn't work. Anyway, um, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like some people like salty, like sweet stuff. I, for one, love salty, tangy, sour, spicy foods. And like growing up, like that was always my go-to. I love that kind of stuff. And like the older I got, I kind of started to discover like fermented foods and like pickle foods. And that really satisfied like my palate like my personal taste like it had everything i wanted in a food it had like the umami it had like that like saliva inducing effect some people hate that by the way i'm yeah. not talking about like thirsting over people but like thirsting over food so like growing up i guess my exposure to fermented foods was more south asian focused because like as a child you just eat the food that like your parents kind of give you so this was a very huge thing. So we grew up, like, we are both Bengali, and we grew up with something called shutki. Now, it's called shutki in our language, but what it is is, like, dried... Is it fermented? I think it's, like, dried fermented fish. I don't know, girl. Oh. And it is... Hell, it's very polarizing Terrible. to say... The, okay, no, let, <laughs> let's... Let's let's be real here, okay? It's an acquired taste, oh, like gross. most, like, fermented foods are. How would you describe the taste? Or, you know what, let's start off with the smell, because we grew up smelling it like when our moms were cooking it like we would lock ourselves in our rooms because it was just vile um yeah go ahead if you were to describe it to someone who doesn't really know what shutki smells like <laughs> okay so for my professional opinion shutki smells like what like, a rotten sock would smell like if it was aged and dried for a long time aged yeah for like 10 days and then you wear it again <laughs> it's disgusting <laughs> and then you wear it again and then you dry it again and age it again yeah exactly it's a constant okay, it's a constant aging cycle. process oh that's what my it smells God, that's like disgusting. I've, its own self-defense mechanism is its stench here's the thing with like fish though it already has like a natural like it's it's already not the most pleasant smelling thing it tasted better to me the older i got there were different types and like certain types of shutki I hate, like I still won't have. But there's other types that are actually very good. Again, it's an acquired taste. Some people still hate it because they have very immature taste buds, but like whatever. Wow. <laughs> I've never had it in my life. Are you serious? Yeah, and I will never. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. But you have to admit, some foods do smell worse than they taste. Yeah, so I think some cheeses for sure. I guess my thing is, and this is where I think we differ, I'm mm -hmm. okay with trying new foods that aren't of an animal. It's okay what? if it's their produce, but I don't, I'm not very adventurous when it comes to like meats or anything like that. Wait, what do you mean? I don't get it. 
as far as meats go, the only real meats that I have is like chicken and beef. Okay. And even with chicken, you know, I, <laughs> oh I God, have a particular part of the chicken. That... Okay, guys, she doesn't like drumsticks. I'm sorry, but like you got to be some kind of like level of like psychotic to not like yeah. to prefer chicken breast over drumstick. Like, That's what the boys tell me. I don't get it. I definitely am open to trying pretty much anything that isn't like organs and like excrement stuff. Excrement meaning like if it's something that the animal has let out whether through its mouth or through its other side i will not have she that. means poopy poopies yes exactly the technical term yep. but going back to like other things that we were exposed to growing up the other thing would be atar so we call it atar but like yep. this is just pickled vegetables it's just like spices and vegetables in oil like south asian spices it's like cumin and like well it's not a spice but mustard oil mustard oh, yeah times. stuff like that And it's just like a spicy, very sour, tangy, um, pickled thing that you have with maybe rice and like other things. Those were my like like first exposures to fermented or pickled foods. I loved both. Um, That was the South Asian part of it. When it comes to like more of like my North American exposure to these foods. So before I get into it, say you walk into Subway. What are your toppings? Like what is your what are your go to toppings on a Subway sandwich? Easy, bro. Easy. Banana peppers, yeah. olives, mm-hmm. onions, jalapenos. Put a little bit of that honey mustard. Put a little bit of that sweet onion. Got them. Okay, so mine's pretty similar. Pickles, jalapenos, uh, banana peppers. And then I go back. Pickles, jalapenos, banana peppers. Everything I say twice. Because if you just say it the first time, they never give you the extra. So go back oh. and say it again. And then they always look at me like, are you sure you want this? Like, this is a lot. Like, this seems like really spicy. They gave me like weird looks. I'm like, trust me, I cannot have the sandwich without all that on it. And then I have like ranch and like uh, chipotle on top of it. And the thing is, my parents hate that combination because they really hate that like that sensation you get in your mouth when you have something sour. They hate it. They're like, no, I don't like this. Yeah. They'll have like achar and stuff, but they don't like the, the other versions of pickled things. They don't like that mm-hmm. sourness that you get. Because I think with achar, it's like, because it's in an oil, it's like heated in an oil, it's not that intense when it comes to being sour. It's tangy, sure. It's like tart, but it's not it's necessarily also spicy. like yeah, but it's not like like lip puckering type sourness. Yeah. So the thing with all the processes I mentioned, like curing and fermenting and like pickling, these are all processes of um, preserving the food in some way. Most fresh foods have a short shelf life. So whether it's vegetables or meats. Whatever it is, a lot of people back in the day, like even today, I guess, like they don't have access to refrigerators or freezers. So naturally they turn to like other methods of preservation. Like nowadays, it's not so much out of necessity as it is for like that acquired taste. Mm -hmm. Like a consequence of like the way these foods are preserved is what gives us that funky, strong aroma, that flavor. So I did want to get into like the processes and what, what makes each of these processes of like preserving food so interesting and why it works and what actually happens to the foods during each process now the main one and like the primary one is using a process called fermentation like a fermentation of a food so i'm gonna get like super sciencey with this because i feel like that's like the way to begin and then i can break it down a little more all right so fermentation is an anaerobic process in which microorganisms like yeast and bacteria break down food components such as sugars the glucose, glucose, that's the new word, glucose, into other products such as organic acids, gases, or alcohol. So in layman terms, that just means you're breaking down food components from one form to another. 
And this breakdown is what gives fermented foods their unique and desirable taste, aroma, texture, and appearance. So essentially a chemical reaction? Yeah, like a chemical breakdown of the food. But usually when we think about like that chemical breakdown, when we're thinking about foods breaking down in general, we think of rotting or it's going bad and that's why it's Mm -hmm. breaking down and getting mushy. But it's important to differentiate between these two. Spontaneous rotting versus breakdown of food in a controlled environment are like two different things. So one is dangerous because it's letting like the bad bacteria form, which is killing whatever um, food is in question. Whereas um, if it's in a controlled environment, it's not dangerous. Like you, you've made sure that that bad bacteria hasn't grown. I mean, that's not to say that fermented foods can't be contaminated like, like any other food. So the way that fermentation like, pre- like preserves food is like it inhibits the growth of, uh, like I said, the bacteria that spoils food. So the good bacteria um, basically starves and fights off the bad microbes. It also like lowers the pH levels and that prevents like the environment from becoming like too acidic. And that also wouldn't be good for like like human consumption. Mm-hmm. And just like a side note, like fermented foods are usually like, pretty healthy for you. They're like rich in bio- bi- like probiotics, which is like good for your gut health. That's why they say like, oh, if your stomach hurts, you should have like yogurt or like kombucha or mm-hmm. whatever else. Fermentation as like part of a process is like incredibly common. For example, uh, wine, beer, bread, yogurt, like even kimchi and stuff. Like these are all things that have been like they're all products of fermentation. So wine, beer and bread are all made by adding yeast. So yeast is like a single celled fungi. It's basically alive. Usually what you have is like a starter culture. So something like bread, you can actually have like a starter culture called the mother. And what it is is like you add yeast to it like every couple of months or like every couple of weeks. I can't, I don't remember the details on it, but I remember that your starter culture can go on for years as long as you keep feeding it. Some people ha- like in, in bakeries literally have mother cultures that have been passed down from like generation to generation. Wait, so it just keeps replicating like that particular bacteria? It's like starting off with like an alive yeast culture or something like that. And then you feed it yeast like continuously oh wow so you keep it alive basically like feeding it and like you can take a little bit of it and put it in your bread and then just keep going it doesn't go bad or anything there's no i guess no yeah like Like, that's the thing with those bacteria it's just like again as long as it's in a controlled environment yeah it's like thriving and that's why i was like what that's so weird and apparently like some of the oldest cultures like they make like the best breads like the best tasting breads or like the way it like Mm -hmm. Forms and stuff like that is very particular. Yeah, just moving on to other things that use fermentation, like something like yogurt um, is actually made by introducing a certain bacteria after heating the milk. So the fermentation of the sugars in the milk by these bacteria actually produces lactic acid, which acts on like the milk protein to give yogurt like its texture and like that tangy flavor that you get. So kimchi and fermented vegetables in general are actually a result of bacteria that's already found in those vegetables. And um, you can add additional bacteria if you want, but usually like that's the main thing. Like these vegetables already have the healthy bacteria in them and the fermentation is going to occur naturally. However, with fermented vegetables and meats, it's common to add like a preservative. So what it does is like it actually slows down the fermentation and um, it can actually slow down or stop it completely depending on what you want to do with the food. Usually it's like through salt or some kind of sodium. It can also be heated, dried or frozen. Uh, not only does like the salt or sodium keep like unwanted bacteria from like growing, but it also helps keep the vegetables crunchy since you hate it so much and crisp. 
it adds like flavor, you know, it gives it that like very salty, like briny taste, um, preserves the vitamin content and like, again, can slow down like fermentation and allow the flavor to develop more, um, more intensely. So some examples of like, I just wanted to go through some examples that like of fermented foods that I love like now as like an adult. Um, for example, kombucha. I never thought I would love kombucha as much as I do now. The thing with kombucha is the same thing. It's basically like a rotten fruit water with tea. Um, and what it uses is something called a SCOBY, which is an acronym for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria in Yeast. That doesn't sound good. I mean, it sounds like Something that shouldn't be in food. I think I you mentioned that earlier. Like this, those things should not be anywhere near food. But what it does is it creates like that carbonation, like that gas buildup. And like that's how you get such a fizzy drink, but it's natural. It's not like artificially carbonated. So the thing with kombucha, like when I see people making kombucha, what they do is they have it in this jar that's like um, it's controlled in terms of how much gas buildup there is. So every now and then they actually let out some of the gas so it doesn't explode because there is gas buildup like while it's wow. fermenting. There's gas buildup, so they let out a little bit every now and then to make sure that everything is properly done inside. And the thing with the SCOBY, like, there's no way for me to describe this to you guys without you Googling it. Because it's just so bizarre looking. No, 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 do. Please do. Because it's interesting. Like, it looks like, like, if you were to just Google SCOBY, it straight up would look like the cap of a jellyfish has rotted. It looks like a cylinder of fat resting. Just resting. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is aging. With aging, it was it was so weird because when I looked up aging, under aging, it was like drying and fermentation. I was like, wait, what? What? I thought there were two different things. But here's the thing. Most fermented foods are aged. And this is because age basically means just leaving a product out over an extended period of time to aid in improving the flavor of the product. So this is a very general, basic idea. So aging is not a very specific thing and done in very specific environments with like specific requirements. Aging can be done by drying. So you leave something in low humidity for a long time. Again, aging because it's taking a long time, but the process is drying. And then fermentation, the same thing. You leave it for a while so the bacteria can do its thing. That's also considered aging. A lot of meats and cheeses are aged, but like just because it's aged doesn't mean it's fermented, but if it's fermented, it's definitely aged. With cheeses that are aged, like we know cheeses are aged and they're stinky and stuff like that and they're left out for a long time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were fermented. You know, they're just aged, they're just left out for a very long time. Mm. But the next one I want to talk about is curing, because we talked about how like I've tried cured meats and like salami and pepperoni and stuff, all mm -hmm. of those are cured meats. So curing encompasses the various processes of preserving and flavoring foods such as meat, fish, vegetables, by adding salt, sugar, nitride, or nitrates with the aim of drawing out moisture from the food. So basically curing increases the food concentration but decreases the water potential of the food. And the food becomes inhospitable for like bacteria growth that usually causes food spoilage. So curing has to be done in like a certain temperature with a certain humidity. And like these conditions have to be maintained throughout like the curing process. Otherwise, again, you do risk bad bacteria growing or entering. So a salt cure can be like a dry or wet brine. Like for example, um, this is why I asked you with the, the, the chicken before. Usually um, when you roast a chicken or like a turkey or like a big bird that has like a lot of fat in it, um, when you roast or bake it, what happens is like 
if there's too much moisture in the skin, it doesn't get crispy. It's almost a little rubbery mm -hmm. when you cook it. But if you have like a wet or dry brine and you brine it for maybe a couple of days before you actually cook it, it draws out all the moisture and the salt enters the meat. And what you end up with is a very dry skin. So when you actually do cook it, you end up with a very crispy skin rather than like a rubbery, fatty one. It's like seared uh, like steak. Yeah, it ha you have like a nice crisp on it. And then you have like, yep. a, you have like a nice, yeah, exactly. It's very like tender inside as well. Uh, just some examples of like cured foods that like maybe we're all aware of. Like, first of all, there's deli meat. And I want to be very, like, I learned this. I want to be very clear about this, that meats like salami and stuff like that are not cooked. I didn't know this. I just thought it was like hot dogs and bologna and stuff that you'd get in the supermarket. But it's not. Like salami and pepperoni, they're not cooked. They're just cured meats. So it's like they just like put it in salt for a very long time with like spices and like fats and cheeses and whatever. And they drew out the moisture so like no bacteria got in. But it's not cooked like with heat, like in the traditional way that I'm used mm -hmm. to like cooking meats and stuff. And like, I don't know about you, but it kind of like changes the way I feel about like cured meats because i don't know why i thought that it was cooked to some degree but it's not well does it i guess the issue with like not cooked meats is that like bacteria and stuff or like yeah. there's something that shouldn't be there that would be harmful if we consumed it but curing gets takes that away right yeah so it essentially does the same thing that it we're does. afraid of with yeah, like yeah. raw meats for sure but like that, that's the thing it's like logically you're achieving the same outcome whether it's by yeah. heat or by curing but yeah. like we're so like I'm so used to the fact that like you only cook meat by heating it up like this this concept like so foreign to me that like you could just have raw meats because I don't know why like I thought deli meats and like, cured meats were like cooked to some extent and then like salted instead of it just being salted from like the get-go and just raw the entire time I mean That's it's not necessarily wild, raw. actually yeah like because when it's so dried out it almost looks like it's cooked. I don't know why, but like yeah. it does. Um, another cured food is caviar. And like caviar is very, con I wouldn't say controversial, but like people are very divided when why? it comes to caviar just because like, first of all, it's so hell expensive. And yeah. second of all, it's very salty because it's just cured fish eggs, right? It's like, it's literally all it is, is just the fish egg raw and they cure it in salt brine. They just like add salt to it and can it. That's basically it. That's all they do. So it's just a very salty, fishy thing. I've never had caviar. I feel like I would really enjoy it. But at the same time, I ain't spending like $200 for like a little can of it. But it's like, okay, yeah. like if it tastes salty, then like if that's the only flavor you get out of it, then why? But like it has got a fishy taste, I guess. Like it's like the same reason people love sushi. It's like it just kind of tastes like the sea. But like, why do you like it? I don't really like sushi. Okay, you know what? clearly when i say you i don't mean you anymore because you don't like most food you're like dw okay oh wow you should you should talk about like the legality of caviar because i think that's very interesting so there's basically like different types of caviar and it's mostly from like the sturgeon fish but there's like different types of sturgeon and i think it was the beluga sturgeon um yeah so they're endangered um they're from the caspian sea like they originated from the caspian sea and they're endangered so the states made it illegal to um to import that fish i think it was like 2005 where they made it illegal but the thing is this man um he literally imported some of those fish right before it became illegal to do so so he's the only owner of the beluga like sturgeon farm in this in all of the states and it's like located in florida 
so basically he's like the only producer of beluga caviar in the states and the thing with uh beluga sturgeon is like it takes so long for those eggs to produce because apparently you don't even know if the fish is a girl or a boy until it's like seven years old and by the time you do know you have to wait like another seven eight years for all those eggs to develop because once it develops it developed like there's like 3,000 to 4,000 eggs at once. But yeah, because they're endangered, the guy who actually owns the farm is working towards like helping uh, replenish species like in the Caspian Sea. He's actually like sent over like fertilized eggs and stuff to help um, help, the, help the population there, which is a good thing. Like you're looking out for um, the animal itself and its future, mm-hmm. not just like profiting from it. But yeah, um, I, this was a really cool example that I kind of randomly came across a couple of years ago. Uh, curing an egg yolk. Have you seen this before? Why would anyone? Okay, so it's very, it's honestly, I thought it was super interesting because this restaurant, what she, like, <laughs> this lady, what she did is she would take an egg yolk and just just douse it in just, like, a pile of salt. And she, I think she left it there for a couple of, I want to say days or weeks. I can't remember the exact date. You, you end up with this, like, candy-like egg yolk. So the consistency is very, like, like a thick jelly. And okay. it's kind of like creamy and stuff. And she just like tops salads with it. And like, again, it's going to be salty. So I thought it was really cool. I was like, I would love to try that. Like, you know, when you cook an egg yolk just right, where it's not like super runny, but it's not hard either. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it looked like. Um, yeah. So my last process I kind of want to go over is pickling. So pickling is the process of preserving or extending the shelf life of a food by either anaerobic fermentation in brine, immersion in vinegar, or hot oil. The pickling procedure typically affects the food's texture, taste, and flavor. So if you think about it, when we have pickles, so like the cucumbers, like they get softer, um, they like it changes the texture, the flavor, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. it, like if you have things like peppers, they're less crunchy um, the longer they're pickled. So usually there's like spices that are added to pickled stuff, and these are like antimicrobial herbs usually, which I didn't know. Like the herbs are actually specially selected. To make sure that like it kills bacteria or keep bacteria at a minimum. Um, these are usually things like mustard seeds, garlic, cinnamon, cloves. So here's the thing. Pickling involves soaking foods in an acidic liquid to achieve a sour flavor. Whereas foods that are fermented, the sour flavor is like a result of the chemical reaction between the food sugars right. and like the naturally present bacteria. Like you don't have to add anything to it to make it acidic. I mean, yeah, those are the processes of food preservation. That's what I wanted to kind of get out from my end. Now it is your turn. So I I pretty much had, I guess, three main areas that I wanted to talk about. So the first one is foods that we think are authentic, but are actually like fake or synthetic. Um, And then the next being um, foods that are actually illegal in the United States and why. Mm -hmm. And then I'll end it off with some, I guess, other weird expensive foods that I just don't get and some that actually kind of make sense. So the first food, I guess, that we think of being authentic, but it's actually synthetic, is vanilla oftentimes. Um, so most of the vanilla beans that um, are produced around the world is actually from Madagascar, who produces 80% of the world's, world's vanilla. Mm. And just guess how much per kilogram it is, like vanilla beans. Per kilogram? Well, I just yeah. want to say that I bought like two pods and that alone was like 20 bucks. So I can yeah. only imagine like a kilogram of it. Because two pods probably don't even weigh like, more than a couple grams and how much is it i think it's peaked at like 600 dollars per kilogram the main reason why is because it's pretty difficult to farm so yeah. every single i guess 
vanilla bean tree, um, it has to be self-pollinated. So vanilla extract is basically uh, vanilla beans soaked in alcohol and water for months, like Ooh, like 12 okay. to 24 months. And there's also vanilla flavor, which is essentially vanilla extract made without alcohol. And then okay. another way that people consume vanilla is by just, you know, I'm, this is, I'm sure this is what you did, but cutting the pods open and just scraping out the seeds. And that's where, you know, the majority of the flavors come from. Yeah. But can I just say something? So when I bought those vanilla pods that I was talking about, I made like a pudding from it. I wouldn't say pudding, like a flan from it, right? And it wasn't strong. Like I used a full vanilla bean and like the smell was very strong, but I got like no flavor. I want to say the extract makes it kind of stronger. Yeah, it makes it pungent. Yeah, because I think that's that's basically like a like one of the processes that you talked about, right? Because you're, um, it's almost aging, right? Yeah, you I can are see that. Yeah, like letting really, it soak. Yeah, it kind of made me sad because I was really thinking that if I use like a natural vanilla bean, it would give me that intense vanilla flavor that I so badly wanted, but it didn't. So I'm like, yeah. oh my god, that just like proves how synthetically like flavored the vanilla stuff out there is. Yeah, and I, I think that's the theme in in uh, like most products, right? Most things that are synthetic, but um, actually have like a real counterpart like the real ones are like typically a lot milder in taste but mm-hmm. the synthetic ones are like overbearingly flavorful but like in a direction that we're so used to that like it kind of takes us aback whenever we do taste the actual thing yeah so the uh so one thing that's kind of interesting to me about vanilla is how volatile the market is so um because a lot of it is in madagascar there's actually a lot of um a lot of crimes and, and violence and, and theft that happens with vanilla. It's almost like a piece what? of like a currency. It's it's very volatile. And that's why you'll see vanilla prices like, you know, go from like being like 300 to like 600 to like 500. It like fluctuates like crazy. The next one is wasabi. So I think this one a lot of people know, but uh, most of the wasabi that we have is really just horseradish and mustard oil. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all like pretty familiar with the feeling of like, you know, having like hopefully not a tablespoon, but like a little bit of wasabi and like the feeling just like radiating through like your nostrils, your your insides and like closing your eyes and tearing up and all that crazy stuff. Yeah. And just letting the pain pass because you can't do anything. You just have to wait for it to pass. You kind of, it looks like an exorcism or something. Like everyone's just like staring at you while your eyes are closed. You're like panting. It's, it's a fun time. And your body does weird shit and movements. You're like just trying to like. Calm yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But the real thing is $250 per kilogram. So it's also pretty expensive, not as expensive as uh, vanilla, but also still pretty up there. And this is what Biz- Business Insider, who is once again our, our favorite. sponsor. Our sponsor, who's not really our sponsor. This is what uh, they call the hardest plant to commercially grow in the world. Um, and this is because, once again, everything has to be done by hand. And it's really just a stem of the plant that they used. And to me, it looks kind of like green ginger. And what they basically do is, you know, once they take it off out of the ground and like take the leaves off of it, they grate it with a special type of grater. So it's a grater that doesn't really have any sort of holes in the back. It doesn't have holes that kind of go through it. It's just a grater that like, it's kind of like braille. Mm-hmm. So like they take their wasabi and they basically rub it on this thing. And that grater basically causes a chemical reaction to happen. And that's what makes wasabi, like authentic wasabi, have its flavor. It's like a paste, right? They like grind it to like yeah, a Yeah, it's a paste. Exactly. And people actually say that it's kind of a sweet flavor, which is interesting to me because I don't think anyone really <laughs> associates wasabi as being sweet. sweet. Yeah, no. Like, yeah. Farthest thing from it. Exactly. I guess what I found interesting about this is that the flavor is like right after they grate it. 
Um, so like maybe like five minutes after they grate it, even like 30 minutes to an hour later, or like a couple hours later, most of that flavor is gone. And that's why a lot of real wasabi is very rare because they can't really prepare it like that, right? They have they have to immediately serve it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to... How would you even do that, right? Like it, it wouldn't even... Yeah. Like it wouldn't have that pungent taste that like we so badly want with our sushi. You know what? I feel yeah. like... Do you think... Okay, so say you're used to like the an idea of something and then you get like the real version of what it's supposed to be. What if you don't like it? What if it, you just can't accept that that's the real thing? I think I still, again, like would like to taste the real one. Just like, no, maybe I don't like it and that's fine. But I just like have to do it just to like do it since I do like the fake one. It's like, it's like watching the movie before reading the book and then you like the watered down version of it more (laughs) than like what it actually is. But anyway, yes. All right. The next one is truffle. So the truffle oil that we all know and love, everyone except Gordon Ramsay, um, isn't real truffle It's not our fault that he has access to real (laughs) truffle and like the rest of us just don't. Okay. That's not fair. He can't be judging like that. Exactly. We're gonna we're gonna link a video of Gordon Ramsay of like him basically calling out every TikToker that does like cooking stuff and like calling them a donut talking shit because it is amazing. Truffle oil is made out of or the fake one, which is pretty much all truffle oil, is made out of a chemical that I really can't pronounce. But the truffle itself looks like a weirdly shaped ball. Um, it looks and it's like a, a turd. Of the mushroom. It looks like a turd. Basically, it. It, looks it looks like, like a poopy. It looks like a <laughs> sphere, not spherical, but like a rounded poopy. Because it doesn't look like a normal poopy. No, it's like a rounded, bumpy poopy. (laughs) Right? That makes more sense. It's like, it's textured. So the world's largest truffle, uh, which was just under 2 kilograms, I think it was like 1.8 kilograms, it was $61,000. So I mean, I think this part, like you told me, but real truffle is grown underground next to trees and they have special dogs that like go around and sniff them out. And after they kind of, you know, found where they're located and like kind of dug a little bit, then the truffle hunter, I don't know if that's what you want to call them, but like the human who's now trying to, you know, get these truffles out, what he'll do is like he'll put his nose in the dirt and like smell if the truffle is ripe because it's such a strong smell. And apparently like there's a difference in smell if it's ripe because if it's not, then it's basically useless. Yeah, it grows around like, I want to say spores. It's almost like a spore. Like, I don't know if you guys know what spores is, but like, yeah, truffles are basically like tree spores. Like, that, like, spores basically grow around, like, the roots of plants. And this is, like, the spore of a tree. And I think also similar to the whole wasabi thing is, like, it, like when it's fresh, it's the best. Like, you gotta sell yeah. it and get it to the restaurant right away. Otherwise, it loses that, like, like, fresh, earthy, buttery flavor. So, I think the thing I saw was that five days above ground reduces the flavor by half. That's Ooh, how see, fast yeah. you gotta act with, with a truffle. Mm-hmm there's like this quote in one of the one of the comments of like the videos that i was watching but it said you know money may not grow on trees but they definitely grow beneath them oh yeah for sure those things are hella expensive okay so foods that are illegal in the united states and why so first okay this one was kind of shocking to me just because i it just was like really um this one is raw milk apparently it can contain salmonella e coli and actually so before world war ii 25% 25% of all diseases from food and drink came from raw milk. Oh my god, stop. Yeah, dude, isn't that crazy? Like 25, not even like the actual meat, but milk. Yeah. So after that, they've had, you know, a lot of rules. And I think in most states, it's actually illegal to sell raw milk. Um, and now the statistic is only 1%. So definitely helped. But like, hold on, can't you just like get raw milk and like boil it? Well, they can't sell it though. That's the thing. 
So milk needs to be uh, pasteurized, aka heating of the milk to to a high temperature to kill the bacteria. Yeah. Um, and this process also increases shelf life. So people actually also put beer and wine through this process as well. The next thing I googled is like cheese. What about cheese? How is cheese even made? Isn't a lot of cheeses made out of raw uh, milk? And the answer is yes. So if you've ever noticed, and hopefully you didn't have to, but expired milk has like clumps, right? I don't know if you've ever seen this, and hopefully, again, you'd like ha- didn't have to. Like curdled milk, because if it yeah, curdles, exactly. there's like acid in there, blah, blah, blah. Yep, exactly. And this is basically like an early form of cheese. Yeah. This is like, you know how you're saying how like you either let things rot or you do it artificially? Exactly. It has to be in a controlled environment. That's what cheese is. It's like exactly. rotting milk, but like controlled. Exactly, right. So like expired milk, again, is like you know, the raw way of doing it and it's not yeah. good. Um, but yeah, so cheese, what they do is uh, they'll put cultures or bacteria in milk to make it acidic and that's the whole fermentation process. And then they'll curdle the milk intentionally. And um, if the milk is unpasteurized, so if it's raw milk, then the cheeses need to be aged for 60 days before they're able to sell it. And that's why, um, you know, cheeses like like Gouda and, and cheddar, these, you know, go through this process since they are um, made with raw milk. But there's a lot of like FDA type of studies and a lot of like other, you know, third party studies that say that the 60 day rule is not good enough because there's a lot of bacteria that still survive after the 60 day period, even after like 120 days. Okay, the next one's triggering. um, And this one's Kinder Surprise. Did you like them or do you still like them as a kid? Okay, I'm sorry. I live in Canada (laughs) where like we're logical and it's not illegal. I, okay, here's the thing Kinder is like its own company right of like chocolates yeah. i think kinder also owns like bueno nutella or something right they own nutella what or nutella owns them hold on guys i need to do a quick google search does kinder own nutella see people have already asked this ferrero okay so it's ferrero's oh, brand okay. ferrero's brands include nutella moncherry kinder uh tic whoa they 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 own tic tacs what? Why? That's so random. Oh my god! So See, that's Ferrero, like such a monopoly. I feel like yeah, that's amazing. They own like the like the most successful brands here. Like Nutella. I don't know yeah. what Moncherry is. I I think it's like more of a European thing. But yeah, they own Kinder Chocolates. They own Kinder Eggs, Tic Tacs, and Ferrero Rocher. And that's funny because like we were reading yesterday about like how one in four of every single hazelnut produced is like it goes towards Nutella. And I was thinking like the only other products that like have Nutella or like Ferrero Rocher and like Kinder and it's like both of them are by the same company so it's like this one company is like monopolizing the hazelnut market that's crazy so for everyone that doesn't know what we're talking about so Kinder Surprise is like this chocolate around like everywhere else but the United States with like a toy inside collectible toys like you can buy different eggs and you're always going to have a different toy it's a part of growing up yeah, exactly. It was like a huge part of my childhood. There's actually spinoffs. So again, the United States banned uh, Kinder Surprise because there's a law passed about 100 years ago that bans foods with non-edible items on the inside because it's a choking hazard and it's illegal to import them to the United States. Um, however, there is like a spin for Kinder Surprise. It's called Kinder Joy, um, which is basically like two halves. So essentially like two halves of an egg and then uh, one half is like the food portion with like the milk chocolate and like the the mini for Rochers, and the other half is like the what uh, the hell that's so toy. stupid if you had yeah. the choice to choose between an egg that literally cracks open and there's something waiting for you inside after you've finished the outer chocolate 
versus like having two halves of two different things like I mean I'm not gonna lie I low-key like kinder joy better like it tastes better okay you know what like white chocolate it tastes better I've had both I actually hated kinder surprises oh my god like I like the toy but I hated the candy just ripping out my heart and like stabbing (laughs) it I haven't had kinder joy to be honest like okay fine like I can't compare the two because I haven't had it but just looking at it, I'm like, why would you want that? But okay, fine. Something funny that happened with the law, though. So again, I mentioned that it's illegal to import um, Kinder Surprise from Canada or Mexico. Um, but in 2012, these two guys from Seattle who were visiting Vancouver, um, they were actually detained at the border for like, I think, two and a half hours because they brought like six Kinder Surprises in their car. And the potential fine was like 2500 per egg. Oh my God. Wild in bro. So the next one, which I think is really disgusting, is foie gras. So it literally, if you translate it in English, it means like liver fat. And it's basically like you actually brought this up. And I, first of all, again, I'm not like a crazy meat type of girl. um, But it's basically like, like duck liver that's like really, really fattened. And like, if you look it up, it's like white and it's just that fat. Um, So the, the, thing here is that there's a lot of ethical concerns since these ducks are force-fed so there's like a tube actually entered through their mouth down their esophagus and you know people at the farms um they just dump down food and there's like a huge controversy around it and it's you know again it's illegal in the united states um it's illegal in in a lot of other countries in the world um but there is a huge controversy around it because people argue that these ducks don't have gag reflexes so it's not going to be the same it's not just it ducks. Be, it's like, it's like birds in general apparently don't have like a gag reflex. Yeah. And like the argument is like, well, they're not feeling pain. So it's not exactly like inhumane in the sense that we would think because for us, like, we have a very insane like gag reflex. But it's like they're comparing like animals to humans and stuff. And they're saying like, oh, you know, they feel yeah. the pain the same way. But like, even if that was true, even if the whole gag reflex thing was like legitimate, whatever, at the same time, like, when you mention, like, how the liver is basically, like, white, um, think of, like, a normal liver and what it looks like. It is almost black because of how much blood it carries and, like, for a number of different reasons. It's just very dark in color. Imagine the process it takes to make that liver, liver like, solid, like, opaque white. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a very drastic change. And this is an organ that is helping that animal function. Yeah. Like, sure, yeah, exactly. I'm a meat eater, eater and I, I like eat meat and stuff like that, but I don't believe in like torturing the animal while it's living and then eating a part of it. Like, if this is like exactly. your thing, whatever, I'm not insulting that. I'm just saying I don't understand it and I don't get it because it just like that poor duck. The next one is puffer fish. So, puffer fish have poison that can kill you. Um, so it must be specially prepared to remove the piece, the toxic piece, and also not contaminate the actual meat part of it. Yeah, so it's not all puffer fish. It's like, I think fugu is a very specific yep. type of puffer fish. But apparently there like, multiple organs plus its eyes and stuff are all poisonous. And that's apparently because of what they eat. So the poison paralyzes your muscles while you're conscious. So I think you're, you, you stop breathing, all that kind of stuff, and... You know, it's, it's very, very dangerous, and there's no antidote for it. Um, and in order to prepare Fugu, you need a special kind of license. And they go through, like, a crazy, like, three-year training for that. That being said, it's illegal to import Fugu in the United States. 
So, like, I watched a video on it, and they were saying, like, oh, so what does this, like, taste like? Like, why is it so sought after? And they were saying, like, it doesn't really taste like a whole lot. It just tastes like fresh fish. That's all. So I'm like, okay, you could probably get that from numerous other fishes, but okay, sure. I mean, honestly, like, I feel like a lot of, like, bougie foods, like, it's just just because it's rare. It's not because it tastes like any sort of type of way. Yeah. I think, um, like, going into the next section is, like, other expensive foods, but, like, bird's nest soup, which you brought to my attention again, <laughs> which is called caviar of the East, and can cost, like, $100 per bowl, uh, people that actually tasted it, so this is another business, business Insider video, they said it tasted, like, pretty much nothing. Yeah. Like, it was... I guess not underwhelming, but underwhelming. Like it just, it looks like, so bird's nest soup. Um, so before I, I go into it, so it looks like traditional chicken soup with like some jello-like or gelatinous like elements. And how they make it is they make it with the nest of a bird called a swiftlet. And, you know, it's not a traditional nest made out of like branches or anything, but it's actually their bird saliva, which comes off as sticky and hardens. Um, and I think they make it like uh, a, a few times a year. But yeah, so... This wasn't always expensive, but pe people were, like, picking these nests so often that, like, the birds weren't able to keep up with building them, and they start to, their production starts to decline. Again, this is, like, one of those things that I feel like people have just because it's expensive and, like, it's, like, bougie, even though, like, you know, there's no real reason they should be having it, if that makes sense. Wait, sorry, they, there's no real reason why they should be having, like, did someone say that? Um, no, but, like, I guess, like, the, the main reason why people would have it to begin with is because there's a lot of health benefits towards it. Like, it's anti-inflammatory. People say it's really good, like, you know, after chemo, it's high in protein. But that's not why a lot of people have it. A lot of people have it just because it's bougie and it's, like, the thing to do and it's fancy, right? Would you try it? I mean, it's not meat. I wouldn't, like, be opposed to it, honestly. Okay. Like, I, that doesn't really gross me out. Like, foie gras grosses me out. This doesn't really gross me out. It's bird spit. Okay, moving on. <laughs> the next thing is gold flakes. And this is just one that I just don't understand. It's just so dumb. Like, there's no justification for it in any way. It doesn't taste like anything. But yeah. it just costs a lot of money and you just poop it out. Like, they're like, what? Exactly. what? Yeah. Like, a lot of foods can be um, justified in terms of like, oh, their flavor and like, it tastes really good, blah, blah, blah. This tastes like that thing and it's just expensive. And this has actually been around since ancient Egyptian times, so it's not really, like, I thought it was, like, a recent phenomenon that it's, like, something, like, 2 chains or, like, Kanye West did, but no, it's apparently been around, like, a very long time. So that was mm -hmm. interesting to me. And there's this thing in New York City called uh, the Golden Opulent Sunday, which is, like, the most expensive, like, dessert you can have, uh, or the most expensive Sunday you can have at this place called Serendipity 3. And it basically has, like, it's, like, a sundae with, like, a golden flower and, like, caviar in it, which is, like, dumb as hell in my opinion. But it costs $1,000 and must be ordered 48 days in advance. So Yeah, because he has to order, that? like, a whole bunch of, like, random ingredients that go into it. This same place actually um, makes, like, a very expensive grilled cheese, which is also topped yeah. with uh, gold sheets. Um, if yeah. you look up the most expensive pizza that's out there also topped with gold sheets if you look up the most expensive donut there is also topped with gold sheets like that's such a cheap way of making it expensive if you just add freaking gold sheets on top like that so dumb but speaking of expensive um so wait for weight saffron is actually more expensive than gold mm -hmm. so each flower only has three threads um which are like the spiky things like on top of the flower <laughs> i don't know how else to explain a thread they need to be picked by hand and it takes two football fields full of saffron flowers 
for a kilogram of saffron. And the last thing that I think this is the only, I guess, meat like thing that I would try okay. is Kobe beef. So, um, and the reason, I mean, it's very, yeah, it's not very adventurous, but I guess what makes it like very appealing to me is that Mm. it's like literally the good things that we think about steak, like it has to be like marble throughout and it's literally just that, like it's so spread out and it's like, it's perfect. Yeah. But like what I found interesting about Kobe beef Mm -hmm. is like the preparation process behind it. So of course, you know, whenever you have this beef, it's made from a particular type of cow in a particular region of Japan, but that doesn't really end, I guess, the definition of Kobe beef. It has to be prepared a certain way. So the first thing they do is they give the cows beer to induce their appetite, which first of all is like, what the hell? Wait, what? <laughs> they get the cows drunk. Yeah. Really? They, they give them beer. Yeah. Secondly, they massage them daily. So like they miss, they literally they have Aww. these humans that are like massaging these cows, so that like happy cows. I think they think like the the fat's gonna like kind of like be more tender. Be, like, all, it's gonna like disperse like immerse in like their muscle, and like okay. give it a marbly effect. And last, this one's very very cute, but also like kind of sad for what's to come. But they make the cows listen to classical music while they're eating, so that they're more relaxed and they will eat more. That's so cute, though. I know. That's adorable. Can you imagine like little cows just, that's kind of relaxing just thinking about it. It's just like, oh, just cows chilling, listening to some music, being happy. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like yeah. gruesome to kind of think that we're just, yeah. it's kind of like Hansel and Gretel, <laughs> fatten them up, okay. make them happy. Each Kobe beef has like an ID number so mm-hmm. you can trace it back to the cow that it came from. So it's literally like a barcode. I don't know. It's what, I feel like that inherently makes it even more like rare and therefore expensive. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this thing, even though it's like rare and expensive, like there's actually like um, there's, there's actually a reason why. Yeah. yeah, there's merit to it. Exactly. Like you look at this thing and it's like, you know, like it's probably going to be really good. Whereas like with some of the other stuff, it's just like, why? So I think that brings us to an end of our episode in Strange and Unusual Food Edition. So thank you for listening and please follow our podcast on whichever platform they listen to. And please also follow us on Instagram at Root of All Random Podcast. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. Bye.